Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was leading them. The disciples were amazed, and the others who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Look. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we wish that you would do for us whatever we ask. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Promise that we may sit one at your right and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with? We can, they replied. Jesus told them, You will drink the cup that I am going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not for me to give. Rather, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they were angry with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But that is not the way it is to be among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Does the name Grant Steward mean anything to you? I can't imagine it does unless you happen to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers football fan, Grant Stewart was this year's Mr. Irrelevant. The Mr. Irrelevant Award, if we can call it an award, is given to the very last football player taken in the NFL draft each year. This year, Grant Stewart was chosen 259th by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Obviously, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of award. No one wants that award. No one wants to be known forever as Mr. Irrelevant. Football players especially, they want to be taken in the first round. They want to be up on the stage with the NFL commissioner because that's where teams fight over you. That's where they, they, they write out handsome signing bonuses to you. No one wants to be at the bottom. No one wants to be Mr. Irrelevant. And no one in the world wants to be irrelevant either, right? Who, who's ambitious to be forgettable? Who, who strives to be irrelevant in life? We all want to be Mr. or Mrs. Important, not Mr. or Mrs. Irrelevant. And that shows up in our homes, and our families, and our marriages, and our offices, and yes, even in our churches. So as we consider what is important and what is irrelevant in the kingdom of God, Jesus turns things upside down, as he, as he so often does. From the way the world naturally thinks, from the way we think by nature, what is important versus what is irrelevant, Jesus turns.
turns it all upside down and says things are different than that in the kingdom of God. It all started with two of Jesus' inner circle, James and John, whom he had nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, making some thunderous waves by asking the wrong question at the wrong time. You heard the context. Jesus had just announced to them, he had just poured out his heart to them for a third time. What was going to happen to him as they came into Jerusalem? That he's going to be betrayed, handed over to evil men, killed, tortured, flogged. And you would think, you would think, this being the third time the disciples had heard this, that they would they'd be saddened. Maybe they would show a little bit of compassion for Jesus. Maybe they would say, what can we do, Lord? Is there anything we can do to help you on this long and terrible journey you're, you're taking for our sake? But no. James and John ask a question. We want you to do whatever it is we ask of you. Now, every parent's been in that situation, right? Mom, dad, uh, say yes to what I'm about to ask you. And, and every parent knows better than to say, okay, I'll do whatever it is you ask, because when it's phrased that way, it's usually something embarrassing or something they shouldn't be asking for. But Jesus is not like us. He is patient. Even though he knows exactly what they're going to ask, he tells them, go ahead, lay it on me. What do you want? And they ask for spots, for seats at Jesus' right and left, as he enters into glory. That's what they think is going to happen. As, as Jesus, in spite of the fact that Jesus just said, I'm going to die there, they thought when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was going to reign in glory, and they wanted to be there. They had ambitious plans to be members of Jesus' inner cabinet. They wanted to be right there with all of the power and all of the honor and all of the glory. Now, if this sounds familiar, it is. Just a few weeks ago, right after Jesus' transfiguration, the disciples were arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And then shocking, most shocking of all, on Monday, Thursday, the very night that Jesus will be betrayed, the very night that he will be taken into custody and handed over to the Gentiles to be put to death, that very night, the disciples again are caught up arguing over which one of them is greatest. They were all ambitious for glory in the kingdom of God. And if that sounds like a common thread, a common theme throughout Scripture, that's because it is as well. Satan was cast out of heaven and Adam and Eve brought sin into the world because they coveted, they wanted the glory that God reserved for Himself alone. The Lord garbled human language at the Tower of Babel. Because there, mankind had come together and said, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower up to heaven for our own glory. Just a couple weeks ago, we heard how the Lord struck Miriam, Moses' sister, with leprosy because she was jealous of Moses' position and his power and the honor that he was receiving. It's a common theme throughout Scripture, throughout human history, that people have been ambitious for power and for glory, even Christians who should know better. Does that still happen today? Are we guilty of being wrongly, sinfully ambitious for glory, for honor, before God and before other people? Well, 
as you look at our world, it's pretty obvious that the answer is yes. I don't think more people have been more ambitious for honor than ever before. Uh, a vast portion of social media is dedicated to that, to taking pictures or videos of yourself to try to increase your popularity, increase the number of people who follow you. You want to become an influencer. You want to get paid, and you have to promote yourself. You have to try to find people who will honor you and give you glory. I don't, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I can see any of you out there going home and taking your selfie stick and taking a TikTok video and trying to promote yourself. But, but there are ways that we also seek glory. I think in more subtle ways that we seek honor and glory. And one of the ways is, is this fairly new phenomenon of, of what's called me time. Now, if you're more than 15, 20 years old, you remember a time when there was no such thing as me, me time? What's me time? Maybe you get me time when you're dead. You don't get me time while you're alive and a member of a family. What is this thing called me time that we guard so so closely that we don't let anyone take from us this day or this set of hours or this evening or whatever it may be. What is this me time all about? Well, it's about me. <laughs> it's about me. And maybe I'm not asking anyone to give me glory, but it, it's, it's this framework of thinking that the rest of my time is, is other time, others time, you time, time where I have to give of myself for, for you, for my family, for my friends, for my job, but I really deserve a little bit of me time. That's, that's ambitious for something that the Lord has never said we should have. Self-service is nowhere commanded in the Bible. And it's a, a, a subtle way where we strive for glory, where we strive to be honored by taking some time not to be serving others. So I think it's good today that Jesus is taking us along with the disciples aside and telling us, I know how it is in the world. I know that self-promotion is, is one of the most important things in the world because if, if you don't look out for number one, if you don't beat your chest about yourself, well, who's going to do it? But it's not going to be that way among you. That's not what Christian ambition looks like in the kingdom of God. Jesus puts it this way. He says, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. With the benefit of about 2,000 years of hindsight, we can see how timely these words of Jesus are, right? Because even as he's encouraging his disciples to, to take on the, the position of servant, not Lord, He's doing the very same thing. He is in the process of becoming our servant. In fact, Jesus here is really paraphrasing. He's really echoing the words that we heard from the prophet Isaiah. Words like this. It was the Lord's will to crush him and allow him to suffer, that he would pour out his life to death and let himself be counted with rebellious sinners. That was Jesus' ambition. I'd suggest remembering that next time you think, you deserve a night or an hour or a day or a weekend for me time. This is what Jesus dedicated himself to. He gave up his dignity when they stripped him naked, when they put a shameful purple robe on him, when they spit on him and mocked him. 
and beat him over the head with his own staff. He, he allowed them to whip him and to place a crown of thorns on his skull and to drive nails through his hands and his feet. He allowed them to do that. That was his ambition. He allowed the sins of the world, your sins and mine, our sins of selfishness and arrogance and self-promotion to be heaped upon him, even though he knew that weight would buckle his knees and send him all the way down to the suffering of hell. He did that willingly as our servant because he knew it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him achieving some some momentary glory in this world. It was about saving us. That's what Jesus was ambitious for. It's kind of interesting that James and John had asked for positions at Jesus' right and his left. They were thinking of positions of glory and honor. Well, Jesus said, I can't hand those seats out. It's not for me to decide. They're for someone else, some other people who they're reserved for. And who actually took those positions of honor at Jesus' right and his left as he entered his glory? Do you know? Well, don't overthink it. When did Jesus enter his glory? What was the most glorious moment of Jesus' life on earth? (laughs) It was hanging on the cross. And the men for whom those places were reserved were two thieves who were also nailed to crosses, not sitting on comfy thrones, but nailed to crosses. That was the place of Jesus' glory. Because that was where He purchased our redemption. That is where the Creator became our servant. Where He humbled Himself to death, even death on a cross. And that was the plan all along, right? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, I think we... We usually think of serving others as, as kind of a humbling experience, but isn't it, isn't it just as maybe even more humbling when others serve you? Especially when it's someone who, socially speaking, is, is above you on the, the social totem pole. Especially when it's Jesus serving you. Remember in the upper room when Jesus stripped down and he put a towel around his waist and he started washing his disciples' feet and he comes to Peter and Peter says, Oh, no way, Lord. You're not washing my feet. I need to be washing your feet. Humbling. It's humbling when someone who you view as greater than you, you know to be greater than you, gets down on their knees and serves you. I don't know if you've had the experience maybe in a, a restaurant where the owner comes out and himself and serves you. It, it's kind of humbling when something like that happens. Do you realize that that's exactly what's happening right here and right now? We call this a worship service. Now, who's serving who here? Well, you're not really serving anyone, and and neither am I. I'm not really serving anyone either. It's Jesus who is here to serve us. It's Jesus who stoops down out of heaven to, to be present with us, two or three or 77 who are gathered here in his name. He's here with us. It's Jesus who 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 takes up the water of baptism and the words of absolution to wash away our sins. It's Jesus. I I want you to think about this as you come up for communion this morning. It's really Jesus who is is serving here. However you want to picture him, with a a waiter's outfit on, with with a towel wrapped around his waist, however, it's Jesus here serving you with his own body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, the assurance of eternal life. This is a very humbling place to be to know that 
The God of the universe is here on His knees to serve us with the forgiveness that He won. To know that the immortal is, is here to serve us, mere mortals. To know that the Creator is here to serve us, His creatures. That's humbling. And that puts Jesus' request to us in a different light, doesn't it? This isn't coming from some tyrant who says, don't you dare seek honor or glory. This is coming from the one who gave up everything for us, saying, you know, the true path to greatness, true Christian ambition is not to be served, but to serve. To, to become the servant of all. Those are the people who are greatest in my Father's kingdom. That should be our ambition, to be serving constantly. I know the world calls it irrelevant, but Jesus says that when you are serving others, even in small things, even in things that no one notices, even in the things you would never possibly put on TikTok or Instagram, those are the truly great things in the eyes of God. That is what we should be ambitious for. And it really is remarkable as I, I look out here and I see this congregation, risen Savior, how ambitious you all have been to serve, to be the servant of others. Just think of how many things need to happen here on a weekly basis in order for, for us to be able to gather here to be served by Jesus. The floors need to be mopped. The carpets need to be vacuumed. The garbage needs to be taken out. The windows need to be washed. It's done every week. When's the last time you noticed our janitor? When's the last time you thanked him for his service? Our Sunday school teachers, our, our organists put in hours of work to prepare, to teach lessons to the next generation, to beautify our service with hymns and psalms. When's the last time we took the time to, to thank them for that, to, for putting in that effort? Most of it going unseen. When do you see that practice? When do you see them putting that time and effort in? Our church council and our various committees take endless hours. They volunteer their time. I, I was trying to think of if, if most of our church council members you know, made mid-range managerial type wages, how much they should be getting compensated for just our meetings, not to mention all the other work they did. And I really don't think we'd be able to afford them. And they volunteer their time to make sure that that the ministry, the gospel ministry here at Risen Savior can function smoothly. There's countless other things, the snacks that are provided, the cleanup work that is done. Just you being here, serving others, many of you with canes, many of you limping in, an amazing witness, an amazing testimony to all of us of how important it is to be here to be served by our Savior with the forgiveness that only He can offer. I think the hardest job of all during this hour that we spend together each week is, is you parents trying to wrangle your children. I'd much rather be up here than, than out there. I promise you that. But you serve in, in these little ways that mostly go unrecognized that the world would say, that's irrelevant. That doesn't make you important. That doesn't make you great in anyone's eyes for doing those things. You need to be noticed. You need to, be, you need to have some fanfare. And Jesus looks at us and says, these, these are the things that are truly great. These are the things I want you to be ambitious for. These are not at all irrelevant in my Father's eyes. These are truly and eternally important. 
I don't want to leave you with the impression that the only way you can serve your Lord is here. In fact, you do most of your service in the other 167 hours a week that you're not here. In your offices, in your homes, in your classrooms. That's where the real work of serving our Lord comes in. But remember the rhythm that there must be. Remember the, the, the heartbeat of Christianity. It's always starting here. It's always starting with being served by our Savior. By the blood He shed, by the life He gave, by the body and the blood that He gives us here. Be served. Be willing to be served. And then, and then you'll be ready to go out and serve. You serve your Lord by serving the people around you as unimportant, as irrelevant, as dirty as that may be. The world will never understand it. The world doesn't get why people volunteer in the church. The, the world doesn't get why you would put money into an offering plate here when you, can't, you don't realize any tangible benefit. The world doesn't get any of the service that you do on a weekly and daily basis that no one ever sees and no one ever thanks you for. And we'll never go up on the front page of a newspaper. The world doesn't get it. Jesus said as much. He said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But Jesus says it's different for us. It's different for Christians. He doesn't say it must be. He doesn't say it better be. He says it is. It is. That's why I don't have to scream at you. I don't have to guilt you into serving. You will. You will, whether I ask you to or not, you will because you have been served by your Savior. You will freely give of your time to serve others. And yet, it may be unimportant in the eyes of the world. It may mean getting your hands dirty. It may mean sacrificing a little bit of that precious me time. You may not ever get noticed. You may never get any recognition. No one may ever thank you or send you a card of gratitude but Jesus sees it and Jesus accepts it. And the amazing thing is that Jesus says, if you, if you just give a cup of water to one of my little ones, you're giving it to me. So don't just see Jesus up here giving you the Lord's Supper this morning. See Jesus in the face of, of these little unimportant fellow Christians that the Lord has given you to serve. Because while the world may view that as irrelevant in the, Lord, in the eyes of God, they are truly eternally important. Amen.